Good morning, all. Thank you for taking time to join us online this morning. And I hope today's message will speak to you meaningfully. The heart of today's message came from a conversation I had with a close friend. And that conversation became a defining moment for me. In that conversation, my friend was talking to me about the dreams he has for his future. And at certain points in the conversation, he said to me to that effect that he didn't really know whether God was for what he wants to do and therefore whether God was for him. And for what he has said to me, I told him, of course God is for you and for what you want to do. But I could still see the uncertainty in him. That made me ponder why he would feel otherwise about God, having heard all the messages in his life. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to open up the Word of God and share. And so I did some very deep soul searching. I asked myself, what is the chief purpose of preaching and discipleship? I don't think I can say that I can come up with a definitive statement. But for me personally, this is where I've landed. When it comes to preaching and discipleship, I feel that the most important thing that I must try my best to do is to present who God is so that people will know Him, be drawn to Him, grow in Him, and walk with Him in His power. When Pastor Amos walked us through all the judgments in the beginning of the book of Joel, and even through those judgments, Pastor Amos was showing us that God was revealing Himself to the people of Israel. And through those judgments, God was wanting to awaken Israel to evil because God wanted to eliminate everything and anything that would harm them, their families and their society. You just cannot miss a God who is for Israel and not against them. And I've entitled my message today, God is for you. And I pray that through the book of Joel, God will reveal Himself to you. And as written in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, we will grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is for us. Let's go to God in prayer before we dive into the passage today. God, I pray that you will reveal yourself in a personal and powerful way to everyone who is listening. And in whatever situation of need they may be in, I pray that God, the revelation of who you are will inspire them to continue to trust you and walk with you. Lord, you said that when you are high and lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. I pray that the preaching 
today in this message will lift you up and all men will be drawn to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For the passage today from Joel chapter 2, verse 17 to 27, instead of starting by reading the entire passage and then go back to each section, what I'm going to do is just to read the specific verses for each corresponding point. So let's start with verse 17. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Where is their God? Is a question that mocks and taunts and shame the nation of Israel because as a people, they regard themselves as a people who belong to the Most High God. It is a question that asks, is your God as great as you say He is? And two, has He actually abandoned you? Abandonment often causes a person to lose his sense of self-worth, self-esteem, identity, and belonging. Abandonment causes a person to feel helpless for the present and hopeless for the future. Abandonment brings a lot of deep pain, shame, and uncertainty. I don't think Israel really doubted the greatness of God. But what I think they feared most is that God would abandon them and they will become subjects to other nations. And then in verse 27, God answered the verse 17 question of where is their God and addressed their fears. In verse 27, we read, Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people shall never be put to shame. God told Israel three things. Number one, He is with them, and He has not abandoned them. Number two, He is God, and there is no other. And number three, Israel will be ashamed no more, and that points to restoration. To arrive at verse 27, from verse 18, to verse 27, we see God begin to reveal Himself, remind Israel again of who He is to them. And there are five understandings I'd like to walk through with you today. And then I'll land with one response from us. First, God is your covenantal husband. We read in verse 18 to 19, Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully and never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. The word jealous also means zealous. 
But what is the most important thing for, un, for us to understand about that word is that it fundamentally points to a marriage covenant. The ministry of the prophet Hosea was to represent to Israel what kind of a husband God is. Hosea had to marry Gomer, a wife he already knew would leave him for other men. And then after Gomer left him, Hosea was told to go and buy her back and continue to love her. In Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Then the Lord said to me, and that's Hosea, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. I think this is such an important biblical anchor for our faith. Someone said to me that after reading this verse, we no longer have to debate about one saved, always saved, because it is about once loved, always loved. This verse gives us the understanding that God is a husband who keeps his covenant to love us. And then in Joel chapter 2, verse 19, we read about the provision of grain, new wine, and oil. These three items are mentioned in the Old Testament together and point towards God. In every Sabbath, the Jew would say a prayer of blessing over the grain, the wine, and the oil lamb to remind themselves of God's covenant with them. Some scholars say that grain, new wine, and oil, oil that we get from crushing olives, they point to Christ and the new covenant through the cross. I think that's a great topic for another study. But for today, the action plan for us is this. When we thank God for His blessings, let that remind us that God is a covenant-keeping God who will always love us with an unfailing love. And number two, God is your mighty deliverer and protector. In Joel chapter 2, verse 20, we read, I will drive the northern horde or army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land. Its eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Here we see God promised that He Himself will drive the invading enemies away and bury them for good. This reminds us of what happened when the Egyptian army was pursuing the Israelis as they left Egypt for the Promised Land. And when the Israelis saw the marauding Egyptian chariots coming closer and closer and closer, they panicked. They must be thinking to themselves, if we are captured and brought back to Egypt, we are going to live a life worse than we could ever imagine. 
And then we read in Exodus 14, verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that He will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. God is going to bury them for good. Because, verse 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What happened next was God parted the Red Sea and when every single Israeli had crossed the Red Sea on dry land with the Egyptians behind them, trapped between the walls of the water, the Red Sea flowed back and buried the entire pursuing Egyptian army. At this moment, some of you are facing stress or challenges that are threatening to overwhelm you. Or maybe they are already overwhelming you. This could be in your relational world, with your finances or health or work. But God wants you to know today that He is fighting for you because He is for you. When Moses said, you need only to be still, still doesn't mean stationary. The people of Israel, in fact, were told to keep moving forward and that's what you need to do. But if you feel that you just don't have what it takes to move forward, remember Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, which says that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word wait, again, does not mean being stationary. It means to stick with someone. My youngest daughter knows who to stick with to get what she wants. If she sticks with mom, she gets a healthy meal. If she sticks with dad, she gets a happy meal. If you stick with God, you get His supernatural strength. You keep moving forward no matter how impossible the road ahead may seem. Tackle one issue at a time. Take your best foot forward in every situation. And every step of the way, remind yourself that God is fighting for you and you will see the deliverance and the protection of God. At this point, some of you may be saying, that's what I've been trying to do. But until today, I've not seen the deliverance nor the protection of God. In fact, what I've experienced is that things have crumbled. I can understand those questions. At the end of the message, I'm going to share a story which I hope can encourage you. So can I ask you just to hang in there for a little bit. Number three, God is your faithful provider. In Joel chapter 2, verse 23, we read, 
For he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. When Israel was in Egypt, the life source of the land was the river now. And as slaves, the Israelites were made to work hard to irrigate the land with the water from now. And scholars say how they do that would be either to carry the water or to make channels, dig furrows with their feet. It was hard work. But when they get into the promised land, they will no longer need to do that. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10 to 11 says, The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. In the promised land, they no longer have to toil to irrigate the land by feet like when they were in Egypt. They can simply trust God to send rain. I think God is telling them they are no longer slaves to Pharaoh, but sons of the Most High God. They no longer are beaten by earthly masters. Now they are being blessed by their heavenly Father. They no longer need to toil. Now they can simply trust because God is their faithful provider. From taking water from now to trusting God for rain from heaven, I think God is also telling us that we don't have to look horizontally at our circumstances to provide for us, whether is it our bank accounts, the stock market, whether is it our vocation, promotion, or relation. Now, we can look up to heaven and trust that God will provide for us from His infinite wealth. Someone said that God will provide for all your needs, but just not all at the same time. When there are still needs in your life unmet, can I encourage you to trust that God is your faithful provider. He will provide for you because He is for you. Number four, God is your supernatural restorer. In Joel chapter 2, verse 24 to 25, we read, The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. We read Joel chapter 1, verse 4 to understand the devastation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. 
what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. When locusts destroy a crop, they wipe out the seed saved from the previous year, the harvest of the current year, and the seed that will be used the next year. It is like wiping out all the savings in your account, all the profits you have now made with your investment, and all the capital you put in to make those profits. They are all wiped out. Therefore, you've got nothing to put into the future. Everything is gone. The destruction is total. But God says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten, and you will have an overflowing abundance of grain, new wine, and oil. God is your supernatural restorer. He will turn your recession into a revival. Your restoration will be so mind-blowing and impossible that you will say, this will not happen unless God is for me. And the Lord is my God. There is no other. Number five, God is steadfastly present with you. In Joel chapter 2 verse 27, we read, Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. When everything is going fine, I think very few will grapple with whether God is present. But in challenging situations, the concept that God is steadfastly present is sometimes hard to grapple with. I once ministered to a young leader who was committed to God, dedicated to the ministry. But there was a grief he was carrying in his heart that sometimes caused him to feel inhibited, to feel uncertain of how to move forward. And he shared with me the story. He said that he lost his child soon after birth in the hospital room. And that was a pain he had to carry, still carried in his heart. And when he said that to me, I asked him a question. In the hospital room, did you notice the presence of God? He paused for a moment. He said he never really thought about that. So it seems like God has been with him all the while, except in the hospital room, there was a blackout. And then after thinking for a while longer, he said to me, yes, God must have been there because I still have my lovely wife with me. Now I've got so many beautiful children. I've got a family that I love, that I'm proud of. Surely, God was there for me. Many months later, he came back from a conference 
and he shared with me an encounter he had. He said during a worship session, when he was just focusing on God, suddenly he saw in his mind a picture. And in the picture, he saw a boy running towards him and hugged his leg and said to him, I love you. And then the boy ran away and the picture disappeared. And at that moment, he remembered that in that hospital room, as his child went home with the Lord, he prayed to God that he would hear those words, I love you, from that child. The reason I share this story is because life doesn't always happen according to our expectations. When we hear a faith-filled, hopeful message, like God loves you with an everlasting love. He's your mighty deliverer. He will always provide for you. He will restore for you what you have lost. But in difficult moments, sometimes it is hard to understand. And yet, it is exactly in those moments we must not lose sight that God is for us and He is steadfastly present with us. So how do we not lose sight of God? That leads me to the last point, which is our response to His revelation of Himself. In Joel chapter 2, verse 21 to 22, we read, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvellous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are spring up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, this is our response, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. Rejoicing in God means that we are grateful and joyful because of who God is. When it comes to joy, a most often quoted verse is Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. But this joy is not our joy. It is God's joy. So why is God's joy? We find the answer in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God's joy is you and I and our redemption. That's why Christ endured the cross and he says, it's worth it. Romans 8.32 tells us, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him Graciously, graciously give us all things. When we have the revelation that we are God's joy, that He is for us and not against us, then our response is simply to rejoice in God always. And so I want to declare over you that God is your covenant-keeping God who loves you with an everlasting love. 
He is your mighty deliverer and restorer. He will fight for you. He is your faithful provider. He will provide for you faithfully from His infinite wealth in heaven. And God is your supernatural restorer. He will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And He is always with you. If you believe, give me a big amen. And as, and as I land this message, I want to speak to two groups of people. The first group are those who do not know God or you have gone far away from God. But as you hear today's message, maybe there was a word or a statement that really stuck into your mind and you know that God is speaking to you. God is drawing you back to Him. Can I just ask you, right now, take a moment, say a prayer and say, God, you are drawing me back to you and I want to do that. I want to come to you, reveal yourself more and more to me in the days ahead. The second group of people I want to talk to are those who are facing a difficult situation or moment in your life. And somehow, you have lost sight of who God is to you. It's challenging. It is difficult. But today, God wants to remind you. He is for you. He has not abandoned you. He will continue to fight for you. And I ask you also to take a moment to just receive that revelation and turn your eyes back to God. Let Him walk with you. Let Him carry you. Know that He is with you every step and every moment of your life. Let's just pray. God, I thank You for who You are to us. Maybe more than what we can ever imagine. And God, even in ways we may not fully understand or comprehend. You are working all things together for our good. And so God, I pray that as we listen to you, as we seek you, may we have a greater revelation of who you are to us and for us. And in that God, may we walk in faith confidently for the road ahead. God, knowing that you are with us every step of the way. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you always. In Jesus' name I pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Thank you once again for joining us online. Have a good rest of the Sunday and have a good week ahead. God bless.